What if you were drawn out of bed every morning because of the place you worked? What if the company you worked for stepped in on your behalf when you weren't sure what to do about late mortgage payments? Now, what if your place of employment was the kind where people would voluntarily take a pay cut just to help the company through a financially rough time? And what if, what if customers were willing to pay you more for the same good or service that your competitor was offering? Is any of this even possible? What would it take for this to be possible? Well, welcome to the Impact of Leadership podcast, where we believe that no one drifts into excellence. I'm your host, Steve Shear, and this episode is focusing on a concept that is costly, but requires no money. Today's conversation is with April Sprints, owner of Driven Outcomes, and we talked about the generosity culture. So how do we increase our ROI without an outlay of cash? Let's hop in to April's definition of the generosity culture. So for me, the generosity culture is a way of living, and it's really a foundation that you can build your business and your life on. And it is based on the concept of pouring into your employees, your clients, and your community. And when I say pouring in, I mean your time, any value that you can offer to those different areas. And the interesting thing is, a lot of people do that because it's the right thing to do. It is also financially the thing that leads to the most success for companies. That's the tipping point for me, but I I don't want to jump my own route here. So now uh, 2020 has been, I don't know how else to say it, but a lot. (laughs) So it's been, it's been a lot of things. Uh, And one reality for everyone, I think it's safe to say, has been identifying what's essential and what isn't. Um, So with that in mind, how does this concept fit in a year when many leaders are having to make tough financial cuts and some organizations are issuing pay cuts just to stay afloat? So the generosity culture really applies to that in in a few ways. So if you already have a culture of generosity, I'll tell you that, that making those pay cuts and making those changes is easier because you are all functioning as a team. So I have some clients where their employees volunteered to take the pay cuts because they care about the overall success of the company. They know that as long as this time period has seemed to all of us, it is a finite time period before we all get to a different normal where things aren't this tough. So they're they're willing to weather that with their leadership, with their companies because of that culture. Now, I've had companies come to me that have not created this beforehand, but want to do the right things by their employees. So having a culture of of generosity, again, can help because, for example, for a sales team, that they were going to just cut back to base salaries and ask them to get their commissions at the end of the year, assuming that revenue was good. The other thing that they did was go one step further. And for the folks that were experiencing this, talk to them about financially, where are your biggest concerns? And then offer to assist with that. So whether that was the mortgage company or they were renting a place somewhere, write a letter that described how their economic situation has changed and asked for some leniency from whoever they were paying. So just getting in there and helping them undergo these changes will not only help with the current situation, but Mm -hmm. the amount of loyalty that that builds over time that you care. We're all making tough decisions, absolutely. But I care individually about it, how it impacts you. So the, the, the company that you just referenced, they actually stepped in on behalf of 
the the employees, the reps to figure out how they could help navigate, negotiate, identify the most pertinent things that need to be paid, like beyond just gas money getting to, to work, like their mortgage payments and stuff? Absolutely. Like, what are the things you're most worried about? And is there a way that we can help you negotiate some leniency? Because depending on the the age and experience of sales reps, they may or may not know that some people will make those changes for you. They'll be more lenient. And even walking them through it, if they're concerned with doing it and giving them that documentation, it was huge. Okay. I'm, I'm bought in. Uh, that I didn't know that story. It makes sense. It makes sense that if you have an organization that uh, steps in to take care of you as a whole person, your home life, uh, or does what they can, not to save you, but to does what they can, that would increase loyalty. So I'm with you. So, the, the, so we've got definition and now value established. Um, so let's get into some, some other examples and stories. Uh, so when, when this is done right, what does this look like practically? I know you just started talking about it, but maybe unpack that more. What, what does this look like when it's done right? Candidly, and I, I say this a little tongue in cheek, but it is also true. Mm-hmm. You know, we're always trying to tell our employees what will make them the most successful and, and what will be the best thing for them. Not dissimilarly from how parents try and tell their kids to live their lives, but what we find is real true leaders and really great parents model for them what it is that they want them to do. So when you are really investing in your employees by asking them questions that have nothing to do with the deliverables that they have for you about Mm -hmm. who they are, about what they want in life and at your company. This is something that I often do because I come in as an outsider. And so I'll spend time talking to each of the employees and just find out really who they are, what they're passionate about. And what's interesting is doing that, you uncover hidden gems in your organization. For example, I worked with a software company where there was a woman in a a low-level accounting position. And it was interesting, low-level position, high-level competency. Mm. And in talking to her, I was like, she's so in the wrong role. She could be the director of operations. She knows everything about the clients and everything about how things happen. So we actually moved her to that role. She worked directly with the CEO in growing the business, and they were able to scale exponentially. And I mean, that's a software business. Scaling is what they do, right? But just moving that person to that other place, because again, you were pouring into them made such a huge impact. And every leader can do that. Every owner, every person can have those conversations and really understand what folks are passionate about, where their skills lie, and give them those opportunities to grow that in their own role or in a different role in the company. The amount of initiative and passion and excitement that that then gives your employees is unreal. So imagine if instead of coming to work because this is their job and they have to earn money and this is what they have to do, what if they were pulled out of bed to come to work because they were that excited because they felt like they mattered? So this is this is where um, I get sometimes a little too excited because um, I want that for the people that I work with and that uh, depend on me for leadership um, structurally at, at CCB. So if people are pulled out of bed, um, this is happening, uh, they're, it's being done right. I haven't heard you say anything yet about an outlay of cash, which is typically tied to generosity. 
um, it, it's, it's investing in people and ideas and listening. Is that right? Am I tracking? Well, absolutely. No, I'm, I'm not talking. I mean, is there money involved in investing in your people? Sometimes, sure. Maybe you're paying for training or you're doing something to make their environment at work better. But for me, generosity is all about time because really, what do any of us have that is actually more valuable than our time? Nothing. So you take the currency of time and you're being intentional with how you are spending it, so to speak. So that, that, okay. So then if we flip that, if we flip the coin over, um, what does this look like when it's heading in the wrong direction? So what should it not look like to help really fill out this picture? It looks super transactional. It looks like I'm a number or a cog in a wheel and I don't matter. And I am kind of tit for tat. I will give you an hour of my time and you will give me X amount of dollars. And there is no more meaning or interaction or relationship other than that. And you can tell the companies that operate this way, you can tell the best as a customer of these companies because that's how you're treated when you call in and you want help the people don't really know another way to act. Now, there are exceptions, right? There's always going to be an outlier, someone who's going to do the right thing no matter what kind of environment they're in. But that's what an, a non-generous culture looks like. And when you think about companies that people hate dealing with, mm -hmm. you can tell a lot about their culture based on your experience in dealing with them. I'm thinking of the leader who's listening to this that has uh, direct reports, whatever the number is, they have some sort of responsibility to influence towards an end goal. Okay. That's very broad, but I'm thinking that person that's listening in and they're buying into what you're saying. Let's zoom in just for a little bit on accountability and generosity. So how, what, what does the rhythm, what does the flow look like? What, what are some insights into the the generosity culture and accountability for actions? Okay, that's a great question. So let's think about this. And I, I compared this type of leadership to parenting. And I do that for a reason. I feel like there are a lot of areas where they're similar. And I think that if you're a leader and a parent, your work on leadership at work makes you a better parent and your work as a parent makes you a better leader. And the accountability is the same way. So when you think about it, most good parents would say, you can't be good friends with your child until they're grown. And the reason for that is you have got to hold them accountable. You've got to make tough decisions. You've got to put some guardrails, rules, and things like that around them that may make things tough on them in that moment, in that situation, but will set them up for success long-term. Generosity culture is no different. Sometimes, Steve, the most generous thing I do is recommend that somebody get let go because they don't have the right mindset. they It's, it's usually mindset related because people usually have skills, but sometimes it's skill related. And I know that the most generous thing I can do is help them on their way to finding a place where they can be happy and they can be successful. So in the short term, that accountability looks like a super hard decision, but I can see past that to where they will end up. And that's the outcome that I hold when I make a decision like that. That's good. So generosity uh, doesn't get rid of your backbone. You have the view of what's best for the individual and the company, one hand on each, it feels like, so that you're not dropping the hand of 
the company and saying only what's best for the employee. Let's just be overly generous in quotes. Uh, but real generosity looks like holding on what's best for the employee, what's best for the company. And sometimes it's them, as Jim Collins would say, finding a different seat on a different bus. And they're not mutually exclusive, right? Looking out for the company doesn't mean not looking out for the employees and vice versa. So it's important to know that you can have both. It's also important to know, and I've explained this to employees before, especially when I go in in a turnaround situation where there are all these things that the employees want, better benefits and, you know, more perks and this, that, and the other thing. And I'm like, there is absolutely a place for that, but there's not a place for that or for anyone if we can't get this situation turned around. So it's like on an airplane and the company needs the oxygen mask first. So I'm going to ask for your commitment and your best work from day one and the, the trust that you know that will be rewarded because we will be able to do that if we do this, this, and this. And that does require some trust from the employees on the part of the leadership and the folks that they're working with. But if you really want a company to be successful, you're going to be working on that trust all the time. Mm -hmm. So you've demonstrated trust. You, you don't snap your fingers at the moment of when it's needed trust-wise. You've been pouring into your people all along because of this heart mindset you know, combination and trust has been developed. So when the decisions need to be made, trust is established. You're not now working on trust now that the hard things are here. Sure. Or, and I have been in this situation, Steve, you just own the fact that you haven't because it is amazing how much taking ownership of your own actions builds trust, even if you're owning that you didn't do any of the right actions. I completely agree. And it does not feel good to do that. I totally agree that it builds confidence, but man, swallowing your pride is, is a tough pill sometimes. It is, but it it's such a gift to people because if you do that and you show them that it's okay to have made a mistake, it's okay to have not done the right thing, you're demonstrating for them a kind of resiliency that we want all of our leaders to have. And you're also making it okay for them to innovate and come up with great ideas because it's only okay to do that if it's okay to fail. We're in a, a culture, uh, I'm not trying to overuse the word, but in, in, in our society, I should say, uh, our society, we want instant gratification. Um, Google it. Uh, I want it now. So how long uh, should leaders expect and what's the mindset uh, that we should have? Um, be, because this is going to take some time before the folks listening in that their culture will be characterized by generosity. So so what what should be the expectation of timelines and things like that? So I always hate the answer. It depends, but it does depend. So I have seen uh, a culture be characterized by generosity in less than two months, but it cool. started with a culture of people who were really ripe for change. And it was a situation where someone had purchased a company from someone else and came in as the CEO and wanted to make some really amazing changes. And you could just tell that this person was vastly different in mindset and the way they would run the company. It happens really quickly. Now, in other situations where maybe it's a company that hasn't had a great culture for a long time and it is all the same leadership, there's no big shuffle in that area, it can take longer because the longer you have a bad culture, the more people you pull, pull in that are okay with that and complacent and usually not super motivated for change. Otherwise, they would have left. 
So it can take longer in those instances because those folks are slower to adopt new thought process. And it can also take longer because you'll probably have some of those folks fall out and you'll end up building a culture based on some of the people you bring in. So then some of the existing folks will modify, some will leave, and then you'll have better people that come in and replace them. And when I say better, I mean better fit culturally. Uh, But it starts with the leader, correct? Like the leader recognizing that this, like we shouldn't expect our people to do this for us. We should model this first. Oh, absolutely. Because that would be like, you know, do what I say, not what I do. Now talk about a little bit about biggest roadblocks. So what are some of the biggest roadblocks that we should be aware of in the process of culture change? In a lot of cases, if you have a culture that's very negative, there are going to have to be people that leave in order to truly change the culture. And in a lot of cases, I find that these people self-select out and they're like, oh, this is not for me. I I don't feel comfortable. And they usually make themselves known pretty quickly of one or two weeks in that this isn't comfortable. This is too good to be true. This isn't really going to happen. But that's a challenge because there's a lot of often loyalty and relationships and things like that that exist. So that can definitely be challenging for the people who are still there, sometimes for the company owner, if somebody's like a 20-year employee or something like that. So that can be difficult. And there can also be some challenges because in order to change your culture with your clients, what I normally do is say, okay, those clients that seem like the trouble clients, that seem like they're causing you issues, asking for too much, we need to dig into that and figure out what it is that we're not doing right and we need to start doing it. That can be challenging for folks too. So I would like to come back to something you said towards the beginning. Remind us again of, of why this concept is so important and speak to, if you, if you could, some of the ROI type things that are associated with the culture of generosity. What's amazing is it is one of the most financially rewarding ways to run a company. And part of the reason is because it is so focused on value. And when we think about any of the best companies that focus on value instead of price, one of the things that we notice is we are generally willing to pay more for that value. So there is already built into the generosity culture, this idea of revenue growth, of being compensated more generously because of what you're offering in value. And I touched on a few minutes ago, finding those trouble clients. One example was a a trucking company that I worked with that they were losing tens of thousands of dollars a month. And the first thing we did was start better servicing the client that complained the most, that they weren't getting high touch enough information delivered to them, things that actually weren't typical in the trucking industry, but that they really needed because they were very high touch for their clients. And when we did that, it had direct economic impact because one, this customer came and said, hey, you know, you're one of the few trucking companies that does this. We want to give you a lot more direct business, which is very difficult to get in the trucking industry. And it's much more profitable because when it's direct business, they pay you more and it's under contract. So you don't suffer the fluctuations of the market. And then on top of that, they just used that model of offering these higher touch services and attracted more and different clients. So in less than six months, that company went from losing tens of thousands of dollars a month to being profitable. So 
that's an extreme example. I also have worked with companies that have been able to double their revenue in about six months because this way of operating towards your clients is almost doing a covert grassroots marketing campaign because you're taking such good care of your clients that they cannot help but tell other people and bring more people to your door. So it's almost like you you are farming for new clients instead of hunting because everything you do has an exponential impact. So it impacts that client that you're working with, but then they bring in people because you've built this reputation of being so different from the other people. That's a real differentiator that has people coming to you. And that definitely impacts the bottom line. That is really good. So, um, I'm leaning in. I know others are that are listening to this are like, okay, I'm with you. I want this. I, I, I'm willing to to face the challenges. But um, my question to you um, then is, where would you direct people to go from here to take action on this discussion that we're having? I love it. Okay, so three things. I am working on a book now, but it's not ready. So I'm going to recommend a, a book of a friend of mine's, which is life changing and amazing, and really addresses building a generosity culture at an individual level. And it is called The Go-Giver by Bob Berg and John David Mann. And it, in a very concrete way, even though it's a business parable, tells you the steps and the things that you do as an individual. So it really augments what I teach well, because I address from a leadership level, this addresses from an individual level. And there's a whole series. They have Go-Giver Sell More and all those things. But that first book, The Go-Giver, is just amazing if you want to as an individual really absorb that information. The other thing is absolutely go to my website, which is drivenoutcomes.com. I have a lot of free resources that I put on my website because I believe in that ability for folks to, to learn on their own, whether they're at a place where they want to invest or not. And the third is I would love for folks to connect with me directly on LinkedIn. I publish a lot of content about the generosity culture and how to incorporate it into your business. And I do it on a very regular basis because, again, we can all learn and, and work on this together. There you have it. Everybody that's listening in, scroll down. If you're uh, Whether you're on your, your uh, PC, Mac, whatever, probably on your smartphone, just scroll down. In the show notes, everything that, uh, that she just listed out will be there. Thank you, April. This was fantastic. Uh, great conversation. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, I really appreciated it. Thanks so much for having me. Here's a takeaway and action item. There's a way to increase customer satisfaction, lower employee turnover, and gain a strong ROI even during rough times. But it takes a willingness on the leader's part to sacrifice the most valuable resource, time. Action item. If you want this, which I'm sure you do because you're still listening, I would encourage you to read the book that she mentioned, The Go-Giver. It's like 140 pages. I got to put it on my list because I have not read it yet. Uh, and it is offered by Audible for those of you that like audiobooks. I would encourage you to pick that book up. Start talking to your team about this concept and connect with April. To get more content, go to ccbtechnology.com slash podcast. You'll have access to dozens of conversations just like the one you just listened to that will aid in your growth as a leader. And as a side note and reminder, we believe that you are a leader if you possess influence. You don't need a title. 
And if you're listening on your phone, please click subscribe. Share this episode with a friend and consider giving us a five-star rating. Now, if you're if you're feeling really optimistic and hopeful and maybe you just had a full cup of coffee, type out a review for us. We appreciate that as well. We read them all and appreciate it big time. And as always, from all of us here at CCB Technology, thanks for listening. <laughs>